Sam Tracy. And I'm Sarah Merrigan. And thanks for tuning in to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs, including policy, science, culture, and so much more. This show is produced by Twid Media, whose members are all alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome nonprofit working to end the war on drugs. We also produce a weekly email newsletter and have some other exciting projects on the way. You can check them all out on our website, thisweekindrugs.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now it's time for our news and headlines, where Sam and I go over some of the biggest stories in drugs and drug policy this week. But first, we want to take a minute to thank our sponsor this week, which is nobody. <laughs> but if you want to sponsor us, please go ahead and check out our website. And we have a link to our Patreon and some of the other cool ways that you can help us make this show even better. But uh, Sam, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. So for our first big story this week, uh, of course, if you're in America, you know that hopefully know that Tuesday was Election Day all over the country. (laughs) And since it's an odd year, most jurisdictions were just focused on local politics. So things like city councils, boards of education. Uh, But New Jersey and Virginia, they both elected their next governors. And they were some local ballot initiatives on marijuana policy and even some state level ballot initiatives on issues about prescription drugs. And overall, it was clear that Tuesday was full of wins for drug reform, particularly marijuana. Uh, Voters in New Jersey, they picked Phil Murphy as their next governor after a campaign where he made marijuana legalization, like alcohol, one of his main issues, even mentioning it in his speech when he accepted the nomination. And in Virginia, they elected Ralph Northam, uh, who doesn't quite go as far. It is Virginia, uh, but he is a strong supporter of decriminalization. Uh, And so there, that is still a big reform. So very good news there. And we can definitely dive into some of the local races here. But before that, I just talking about the governor races, I think the biggest headline here is no more Chris Christie, which I guess we (laughs) knew beforehand since he was, I believe, term limited out. Uh, But his lieutenant governor was the one who lost uh, to Phil Murphy. So I assume she would have just been a continuation of his policies, probably not his rhetoric as much, just because he is one of the most extreme ones out there. But um, yeah, so very big wins for uh, for marijuana here on the East Coast. Yeah, absolutely. I And I definitely agree with you. I think uh, No More Chris Christie is probably the most exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, although I am, you know, he's, his role in the Opioid Commission does... Uh, Mm-hmm. make me worry because he's still going to be around a little bit right, he's but, not totally gone <laughs> uh someday mm-hmm. but uh i think new jersey i mean you know i'm not from the east coast but i think new jersey is incredibly exciting um mm-hmm. as, just because of where it is and its position next to new york um and the potential influence it can have there mm-hmm. definitely because i mean this does mean that new jersey He's saying that he wants to do this in his first 100 days, so it's a real possibility that New Jersey could be the next state to legalize marijuana. They'd be the first to do it through the legislature. Um, they'll probably, Hopefully Vermont is going to beat them to it since they essentially have a deal for early 2018 uh, that as long as they fix their bill, um, then the governor will sign it this time, but that'll be non-commercial. So as far as regulating marijuana like alcohol, New Jersey will be the next one. But these local ballot initiatives, too, I think were really important. I mean, there are obviously much smaller ones, but um, as you flagged in uh, some of our prep as well, just that in Athens, Ohio, 
they voted to depenalize marijuana. So that's even you know further than decrim. I guess it's not quite legal yet, uh, just because you can't legalize it at the city level. But they don't have any fines uh, or other court penalties or anything for it. Detroit, Michigan, they passed two measures that will ease restrictions on medical marijuana dispensaries. And then uh, Rocky Ford, Colorado, along with a number of other cities, uh, voted to allow retail sales of recreational marijuana. Many others also voted to add taxes to marijuana sales, including one where sales are still banned. So I don't really understand what's happening there, but uh, (laughs) overall still seems to be some good progress at the local level, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's always encouraging to see states kind of taking it into their own hands. So Mm -hmm. this is encouraging um, this year and especially going into 2018. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good signs for next year. Moving into my next story, um, we're talking about supervised injection sites. And we're actually talking about um, sites in in Ottawa and Toronto and sites that involve two of our previous guests. Uh, Mary Lou Gagnon and Zoe Dodd. And I picked this story because it highlights some really interesting things about um, the Canadian government and specifically the provincial government of Ontario. Um, So both Toronto and Ottawa are cities in Ontario and both of them had pop-up injection sites, which if you've listen to our most recent episodes and our episode mm-hmm. with Zoe in uh, season four, you know. Um, but the response, the city responses to those injection sites have been extremely different. And that's really uh, been highlighted recently um, now that cold weather is coming. Mm-hmm. So basically, the simplest way to describe it is Ontario offered uh, provincial assistance to both Toronto and Ottawa. And what that involves, um, a portable generator, a heater, and an emergency medical assistance tent. Um, They offered it to both cities. Uh, Toronto accepted it and has been using it, while Ottawa rejected the offer. Huh. Yes. The city government, even though they weren't the ones running this facility. Correct. And... Mm -hmm. One thing to highlight, uh, city council was not involved in the decision, hmm. but many of the city councilors support Ottawa um, overdose, or overdose prevention Ottawa. Okay. And the so mayor... So was it the, the police? Oh, okay. The mayor? Yes, mm-hmm. it was the mayor. Um, and he's, his re- reasoning, I guess, was that he would prefer the money to go to the existing interim site, um, but issues there involve low capacity and it doesn't involve people to smoke their drugs, which hmm. both the pop-up injection site did. They had a tent that was available for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the mayor also would be willing to have the money go to the two anticipated sites that the city has also already approved, but they're facing delays and mm-hmm. they don't exist right now. Yeah, and I mean, that's just so unfortunate too, just because, I mean, obviously the whole thing about just rejecting, I mean, and this will tie into the next story about rejecting, you know, this huge grant of money and having some sort of kind of silly excuse for not accepting it. But if we're talking about winterizing and outdoor space, it does seem like the SIF where you allow people to smoke should definitely be getting that because you could at least have, you know, an indoor 
injection SIF uh, pretty easily, but you it's much harder to allow, be allowing people to smoke indoors. So if you're going to be having somewhere they can smoke, put it outdoors and put those resources there. Exactly. And that's it really uh, goes into the last point I wanted to touch on. Um, so in Toronto, like I said, they accepted all of this aid. Um, but one thing, the problem, the biggest problem they faced was that the tent that they were sent um, declared it a fire hazard, basically, to have open mm. flames in the tent. Uh. And obviously that's an issue because you need flames to heat things up. Um, Mm-hmm. But thankfully, and again, showing a really stark difference, the fire department and other people within the city were willing to work with the site and they came up mm-hmm. with a revised safety plan. Um, and now awesome. things are working. But this, the volunteers have said that one tent still really isn't enough to meet the demand. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, I think Toronto is in a much better place than Ottawa. And we'll see where things go when it really starts to get cold. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so for the next big story that I've got this week, and I hinted at it a lot already, um, <laughs> but it's diving into Maine politics, uh, some of which had to do with the recent election and some of which did not. As we've reported on before in previous episodes, the Maine legislature recently passed essentially a compromise bill to implement the marijuana legalization law that was approved by voters last November in 2016. Uh, The bill was endorsed by both opponents of legalization and by the Marijuana Policy Project, so it truly was a compromise, but then Governor LePage vetoed it. On Monday, the legislature met to consider overriding that veto, but that failed after House Republicans came out really strongly against it. And we can talk about what the implications are for that in a moment, but the other uh, big story about uh, Maine and Governor LePage standing in the way of voters... (laughs) is uh, about this most recent election. As I said, they decided to expand Medicaid, um, and we can talk about what that means in a second, but uh, LePage then said that he's vowing to fight against implementing this ballot initiative, uh, which I think it's important to note passed with 59% of the vote, so that's a pretty you know commanding majority, and uh, he's still saying that he's not going to implement this one either. And, by the way, it is a constitutional amendment, so... That means he's basically trying to disobey the state constitution. Oh, it, you know, I feel I'm speechless. No, I'm not speechless. I just wish I were surprised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because this fits the trend with LePage so much. And I mean, for people who don't know much about him or maybe are first tuning into the show, he's notorious for just being kind of like a proto Trump. And he was elected with only a plurality of the vote. So he doesn't even have popularity among voters or anything like that. Um, But he's also term limited, which I guess is part of the reason why he is even more confident about totally flouting the will of voters right now. (laughs) Yeah, I just, you know, I think it's it's absolutely ridiculous. It, It, I... You know, I guess I don't remember exactly what the percentage was when um, legalization passed in Maine. I know it wasn't an overwhelming amount, but it was was a majority. Yeah, of admittedly a very slim majority. They did have to do a recount. That's what I thought. But they did win. Mm. Yes. But so to talk for a second about how exactly this uh, impacts the actual marijuana legalization law. 
some people do say it's a good thing because the voters law is technically still in place. Um, so it didn't amend that. But at the same time, the state does need to take explicit action to actually implement it and license businesses. So right now, it's basically just in limbo where, you know, D.C. stands same place as Massachusetts. But here in Massachusetts, they're actually moving to implement it. They're sticking to their timeline. They're spending money to implement. Um, so this is going to lead to some strange problems where, you know, maybe people from Maine are going to be driving down to Massachusetts to purchase, which, again, is a bad idea because New Hampshire's <laughs> in between them and uh, it is still uh, quite illegal there. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think this is, uh, it's a unique situation. And I think it, mm -hmm. particularly in the marijuana case, um, you know, his logic for, for why he won't do it and what, you know, waiting to see what the federal government is going to do. And this, it's just very, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a cop out. Mm -hmm. And the cop out on the side of Medicaid is quite a cop out as well. I, I all personally say um, that one, he basically is just saying that he doesn't want to implement it until it's fully funded and claiming that it's going to be raising all of these costs. But again, like I was hinting at it before, the very, very short version of Medicaid expansion is just that you can cover more people with Medicaid. Um, they get more health, access to health care. Um, that obviously comes with more costs because you're paying for more health care. But the federal government pays the bulk of the bill and the state has to basically chip in a small amount. So you're getting it at a incredibly sharp discount. Um, and really the only reason to oppose like normally politicians are chasing federal pork all the time. And really the only reason to oppose this is basically, you know, being against Obama and Obamacare more broadly as kind of an ideological thing. Um, so hopefully the legislature will be able to, to fight him well Absolutely. on that one. So our next story is, I think, substantially more positive and exciting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the Global Drug Survey because it is officially live and it's my favorite time awesome. of year. Uh, this year, it's been translated into 16 different languages. And if you're unfamiliar, it's a survey that takes about 15 to 30 minutes to fill out. It's completely confidential. Um, and the goal really is to make drug use safer through the sharing of information. They about, I think, close to 500,000 people have taken it so far. Um, and it's only been around since about 2014. So that's pretty mm -hmm. exciting. Um, and one of the most, you have to be at least 16 to participate. I guess I should throw that disclaimer out there. <laughs> hmm. um, mm -hmm. But one of the more interesting things about it, aside from the, the pretty large sample size, um, is that while some of the questions stay the same every year, so that they can kind of track things because the, the way I, I don't remember exactly right. how they do it, but there is a way where they use your birth year um, and initials. There's some they have some way that they oh they try to tie yes, it to the where, so they can if you take it every mm -hmm. year they can kind of track track that too and track your patterns, mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. But some of the other questions yeah. change each year because they're very, very focused on trying to be, be with the times and trying to, you know, when, they, when a new mm -hmm. trend is happening, yeah, yeah they want to capture it right then when it's happening. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So what are some of the, I mean, I, I've taken this every year that I, <laughs> I've known about it. I think it is, you know, incredibly important just to be contributing some of your own data to that just because it's so useful from the research mm-hmm. kind of side of working in policy and in media around drugs. I mean, this is kind of the gold standard as far as this sort of survey globally. I was the only one like it. Um, and I and I will say also that if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't really do drugs. I don't want to. Uh, it wouldn't be worth me putting that in there. If you don't use any drugs, still take it. Um, if you only use caffeine or only use alcohol or only use, you know, a very small amount of drugs or nothing illegal, it's still incredibly useful for you to take it because I do feel like it does kind of skew towards people who are much Mm -hmm. heavier drug users um and that's something that you know they kind of understand who their audience is um but it's a lot of people from you know drug forums on the internet and that kind of thing so i think it is you know really helpful to get data from people that it typically isn't targeted to but I'm, i'm curious yeah like what are i haven't taken this year's yet so what are some of the new questions that they're uh they're they're covering this uh, admittedly year? i haven't taken it yet either but some of the ones that they have highlighted on their website are um what age people lost their quote drug virginity at <laughs> which i think is interesting mm. um they included yeah. some questions about pill testing they're focusing on fentanyl, um, specifically, you know, how people get it, kind of how they're using it. And they're taking a more in-depth look at cannabis and what that means. Um, your guess is really as good as mine. So I guess if mm-hmm. people want to find out what that means, go take the survey. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that does make a lot of sense that they're adding in those things. Maybe with cannabis, they'll be diving into maybe specific uh, means of ingestion or, or different types of concentrates and that kind of thing, just because it's so much more available I mean, now. But yeah, I'll definitely be curious. Yeah, to see what then that like. I guess what I'm curious about, they've really done a great job of looking at concentrates and hash and different types of concentrates um, mm. in the past. And so we'll see. But um, the results are always shared in April. So April of 2018, I can almost guarantee we will be doing another story about this. <laughs> Absolutely. And so before diving into our headlines, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Join them at patreon.com twit. If you've listened to This Week in Drugs before, you know that we have a 30-second commercial each week, which helps cover the cost of producing the show. But that's not our biggest source of funding. The big majority of our money comes from listeners like you, who sign up to support our work with a small monthly contribution. At patreon.com slash twid, you can get some great perks for as little as $1 a month. This money helps us pay our bills, like web hosting and audio production software, so we can keep creating great content for you to listen to each week. Again, that's patreon.com slash twid. We appreciate your support. And now it's time for our quick hit headlines, the first of which is that an exchange-traded fund, or ETF, currently focused on tracking the real estate industry in Latin America, has announced a major shift. Effective December 26th, they will instead switch to tracking cannabis cultivators, distributors, retailers, and ancillary businesses such as fertilizer producers. They trade under the ticker LARE. Very interesting. Um, My next headline is a joint report by the CDC and the FDA found that one in five U.S. adults use some form of tobacco in 2015. Uh, Rates were higher among people in the Midwest, 
people with a high school diploma or something equivalent, people with a household income below 35,000, and people who were uninsured or insured through Medicaid, people with a disability, and people who identified as LGBT. In Kenya, a court case over whether the government can limit the amount of time people are allowed to chew Mira is advancing through the legal system. Mira, which is also known as CAT, which is K-H-A-T, contains cathinone, a mild stimulant, and its leaves are chewed in a similar social and cultural context as people in Latin America chewing coca leaves. That hearing is set for November 17th. And in Wisconsin, three Republican state legislators legislators have introduced a bill that would lower the drinking age to 19, but only if the state would not lose its federal highway funds. One of the bill sponsors, Representative Adam Jarchow, feels confident the state will not lose funding because, quote, part of the campaign promises made by the Republicans in Congress and the president was that they were pro-federalism, meaning they were pro-devolving federal power back to the states. And now for our weekly forecast, this Thursday, November 16th, is the 79th anniversary of the synthesis of LSD. The drug, which is arguably the most popular psychedelic and definitely the most popular synthetic one, was first synthesized by Albert Hoffman in the Sandoz Laboratories in Basel, Switzerland. That was back in 1938, and at the time, he was just trying to create an analeptic, which is a central nervous system stimulant. After its synthesis, LSD was basically just shelved for five years uh, and until Hoffman decided to re-examine it in April of 1943. That date, April 16th, now known as Bicycle Day, is the anniversary of the first human ingestion of LSD. After Hoffman consumed a small amount, uh, which was 250 micrograms, which is actually not that much of a small amount, about over 10 times what's a typical dose now, uh, <laughs> and he had the very first acid trip while riding his bicycle home from work. So while that day is much more widely known, this Thursday will be another great day to read up on the history of LSD and how it spread throughout the world. Very cool. And my forecast is something we've already kind of touched on, um, the Global Drug Survey. Uh, This is so incredibly important. Um, Please go take it and please tell everyone you know to Mm -hmm. take it because like Sam said, it we really all benefit when everyone takes this, whether it's people who consider themselves psychonauts, people who only smoke cigarettes, people who choose to abstain from anything. Um, Everyone should take this. So please, please, please go do that and spread the word. Absolutely. And so that is all for this week's edition of the Weekly News and Forecast. As we say every week, there's so much going on, it's hard to keep track of it all. So if there's anything that you think is really important that you want to flag for us, or if you're hosting an event, uh, or if you just want to tell us your thoughts on something, feel free to send us a message on Facebook or Twitter. You can also email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com. And finally, just a quick thank you to our sponsor, which this week is nobody. But if you want to sponsor us, just go to thisweekindrugs.org and you can find some info on how to do so. Thanks again for listening to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Sam Tracy and me, Sarah Merrigan, and produced by Chris Harris. If you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that new episodes will be sent straight to you. 
If you really liked this episode, you can help other people discover us by writing a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you absolutely love this episode and want to support our work, you can make a one-time contribution using PayPal, become a monthly supporter on Patreon, or even sponsor an episode. For links to those and to learn more about our other projects, head on over to thisweekindrugs.org.